Welcome to Coffee with Jamie, a show about how to get unstuck from some of life's stickiest stuff, like burnout, divorce, loss, and more. Here is your host, Jamie Finney. Hello there. (laughs) Welcome and thank you for joining me. This is Coffee with Jamie, a show about getting unstuck. I am your host, Jamie Finney. How's everyone doing out there? You know, <laughs> I have a question for you. When you when you listen to shows like this one and someone asks a question like, how are you? And you know they can't hear you. Um, are you the type of listener that responds out loud or in your head or not at all or maybe none of the above? I, I was just thinking about that's kind of a funny thing to be like, how are you? Knowing that you really can't respond in a way that I can hear you. But I think for me, it tends to be um, like mood dependent. If I'm feeling extra caffeinated or extra good, I'm I'm totally one to respond aloud. <laughs> so um, I, I often listen to shows when I'm in the car too. So it might also depend on who's in the car with me, but yeah, I'm, I'm that person. So, <laughs> all right, little, little derail there, but today, on episode nine, we are going to talk, um, we're going to take a little shift in the topic and talk about hope. If you've been following along all season and this feels like a departure from my regular focus on my six-step process for getting unstuck, worry not. I believe it's all going to tie together. All right. But before we get into the thicker stuff, let's answer the question that comes up every so often. What kind of coffee are we having with Jamie this morning? All right. I'm going to tell you what I'm having. I'd love for you to tell me what you're having. All my contact info is shared at the end of the show here, but for real, feel free to share that information. I'd I'd really love to know and give you a shout out. So for now, I'll start. Um, I've I've really been all about these Swift Cup instant coffees ever since I learned about them from Victor a couple weeks ago. So here I am again this week with another pouch of what they describe on their website as high quality, ethically sourced instant coffee. And today I went with, um, it's an Ethiopia agro and, um, am I saying that right? Agaro, agaro. I think I'm saying that correctly, but you know, I may not be that, uh, articulate. Anyway, bear with me. If I'm saying it, mispronouncing it, let me know that. Um, but my mug memory for today, um, delicious coffee, in a in an adorable mug, probably better suited for like hot chocolate because this particular mug belongs to my older daughter, Sophia. I, I think I reference my kiddos as like oldest and youngest, <laughs> but I have two. And most of the time I find that I'm referencing the youngest, Zia. Um, I think just because there's so much um, going on with her all the time. Whereas my, my older daughter is like the most even keeled. And it was, it's like one of those things where by the time she was three, like I thought, wow, if this is having kids, this is easy. I don't know what all these people are talking about. And I was tricked. And then I had a second one and she was, she's wonderful, but completely opposite. And I thought, wow, if this one had come first, let's, let's not let her hear this part, but if uh, the second one had come first, there might only be one. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, so this one, this is, this mug belongs to Sophia. It is, um, 
Yeah. She's had this mug since around age three and she's turning 17 on Monday for frame of reference. So this mug is like bubblegum pink color. It's got the name Sophia in big, colorful bubble letters. Um, it is not dishwasher safe. So it's always been hand-washed. It's had a good run, you know, it's still in great shape. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think, um, Usually it's filled with hot chocolate and whipped cream and sprinkles. And the great thing about this mug is it looks exactly like the feeling it creates. It's just happy. And I love, I love that throughout all of Sophia's life phases so far since age three, like through the fairly difficult preteen age and through the all black era and into who she's become today, this mug always brings a smile to her face. Like I will sometimes just kind of randomly bring her a mug of hot chocolate, but I like to do it in this mug. We have a few that are specific for the kids, you know, that they like. And so this one is one I love when I know she needs a smile and it, um, it always does bring a smile. And, and that in turn makes me really happy. I feel like in some way that's like a successful parenting moment. (laughs) So the the memory that comes with this mug is really a nod to embracing every single one of those smiles. I've had the absolute gift of experiencing from her and, and I don't take that for granted. So um, I'll post a picture of this mug on my coffee with Jamie Instagram. If you're interested in seeing the mugs that get mentioned on each episode, um, Again, at the end of the show, I can get, you know I'll share where you can find all of that stuff. But um, all right, let's let's get on with the show. So I always like to start with a little recap here. So last week we had an awesome listener submitted email that presented a different kind of stuck, the kind where if you're you're overwhelmed by too many choices or options, and it got me really going on a few ways to approach getting unstuck when processes like end-to-end processes, like my sip stick, sorry, my six-step process, if those end-to-end sort of formulas aren't working for you as they're set up, um, then you know this is this is the kind of thing, you know, last week gave me an opportunity to talk about how those six steps I use for getting unstuck to approach them out of sequence. And today's theme of hope um, is going to allow for that as well. And I think, I think what's super cool about the six steps is that while I know they work for me now as a sequence of actions, the more of these community questions that I receive from you, the more I feel like I'm able to show how they can be sampled and tried and kind of moved around in a way that meets you where you're at. And which really like the six steps I walk through in the first half of this season, they're tools for problem solving. And just like having tools in a toolbox, sometimes there's a sequence or an order that you need to use tools for solving certain problems. But sometimes you just need one. You just need a wrench or a hammer. You don't need the whole toolbox, right? And and that's exactly what these steps are designed to be. They are tools that can work together in a sequence to accomplish, you know, a certain certain goals. Um, or they are tools that you can select to address a specific type of challenge. So, so hope. We're going to talk about hope and how it connects 
to a couple of the six steps. All right. All right. So that's our little recap. I want to share a little insight into to where the theme of hope comes from and, and how it got to be the focus of today's show. Um, as we've shifted to the back half of season one, we're in you know, episode nine of 13, the small section I usually say for the end called the community part of the show has now become the show, the central focus of the show. And this is the part where I get to share your stories your questions, thoughts, and really anything you'd like to share or ask on the topic of getting unstuck, whether that's in life, in work, thoughts, ideas, or anything that that feels topically relevant to you. Um, so far, so good. And, and thank you so much for the participation. It really helps things go a whole lot smoother than if you didn't participate by reaching out or writing in. So, um, that's, that kind of gives us a little backgrounder on where hope comes from. I received this email just before last week's show. And, um, yeah, it's great to have a, a tiny little backlog. All right. So our listener writes, Jamie, I'm really enjoying your show. And I think you have a lot of good tips to offer. I know you've talked a little about not making money one of your compass of intention items. But what if you're in a situation where you took a job for the money and now you feel stuck in it? This is me. I don't feel I can leave because I need the money, especially with the prices of everything going up like crazy. I'm worried that I'll get fired because it's reached a point where I feel disconnected. I feel undervalued. I still care about doing a good a good job because that's how I was raised, but I don't feel motivated to do the work. I waste a lot of my weekend time dreading Monday. Is there an unstuck process for this? I hope you can help. Signed, initials, KC. Oh my dear, dear listener. So first, thank you for this very honest and very vulnerable email. I truly feel honored that you would reach out to me with this. Um, to start with what I think is going to be a show-length response, I, I want to start with a simple yes. Yes, there is a process for this. And I do hope that through the next I don't know, 40 minutes of this show that I can offer some perspective or tools that give you something useful to work with. It sounds like you've already been listening for at least a few episodes, if not all of them so far. For anyone who hasn't, I do think starting with episode one and at least getting through episode seven is a great thing to do. So you'll be well aware of what the six steps are. You'll know exactly, you know, they, those episodes go into depth on those six steps. If you've been listening for a while and still feel like the six steps that I share aren't meeting you where you're at, then I, I think the work really begins with getting real with where you're at. And that focus is, is really step three of the process. It's called confess and address. And I think just to be able to write an email like you shared with me, Casey, shows me that you're already doing this to some extent. And that 
is excellent. There was quite a lot of information in that brief paragraph that you emailed in. You've described feeling disconnected and lacking motivation, which is a really challenging spot to be in, and I can really relate to it. But in the middle of those two details were the words, I feel undervalued. Ah! <laughs> okay. Okay. See, this brings this brings back like a wave of, I don't know, almost trauma for me, you know, that I can relate to feeling um, very much like this in a role a little over a decade ago, I think, you know, and it brings up so many questions about the environment, about the culture, and well, just a lot of questions we we don't have answers to right this minute, but I did respond to your your email, Casey, with some questions and thoughts. If you're able to respond in your own time, I'd love to hear back, but working from the information we have in that email, um, if you're, you're a longtime listener of the show, my responses often take a little story detour before connecting to the steps or useful tools. So bear with me for a minute here. A few episodes back, I talked about the movie Rocky and how a line from that movie struck me. It, it was a line I needed to hear at the time I needed to hear it. And I feel like that happens a lot for me, especially with movies that I tend to rewatch more than once or twice. There are, you know, there are, many, there are movies that struck a nerve or a chord with me somewhere. And you find these little gems um, in the in the script, you know, in and they're sprinkled throughout these these really good movies. And yeah, I love stuff like that. And well, I rewatched the 1994 movie, The Shawshank Redemption this past weekend. And if you've seen this one, you know, there are tons of great lines throughout this movie, but the one that really hit me this time around was the main character, Andy Dufresne's line about hope. He says, you need it. So you don't forget, forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone that there's something inside that's yours that they can't touch. Andy Dufresne's context in the movie is prison, which may sound like a really extreme contrast to a place of employment, but when you mention things like feeling undervalued and that you don't feel you can leave because you need the money, I truly think the reference is very relevant. It's, you know, whether it's an extreme comparison or not, I'm going to extract some examples from the movie that I find interesting or inspiring that I think tie back to some of the six steps and sort of the tools that I, I hope to share with you, Casey, and any other listeners who may relate to the, your situation. Side note, this, like watching this movie was a very spur of the moment, very unplanned thing. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I need, you know, I don't know. I, I, I love to, I love to have something on as background noise while I'm doing other things. So I often choose things I've seen before because then my brain isn't trying to keep up with the storyline. It's just background. But um, I love the serendipity of how this felt, you know, having this movie on, how it felt with, 
your email, Casey, already soaking in my brain a bit and processing how I'd respond. It just seemed like the two kind of converged beautifully. So um, I personally have always believed in hope and the power of hope. And I think if you've ever been unhappy in a job or you've ever been in a bad situation that's really hard to get out of or in a place you're feeling stuck, uh, I feel like Andy's line about hope really applies all right. So spoiler alert. I feel like my tongue is all tangled today. If you haven't seen this movie, spoilers are going to happen from this point forward. So do what you need to do if you don't want it to be spoiled for you. And, and definitely go watch that movie. If you haven't seen it in a while, give it a watch again. It's always a worthwhile watch. So, okay. So I want to start with the framing of circumstance. Andy Dufresne is innocent, but convicted to life in prison for the murder of his wife and her lover. So he's basically in prison for circumstances he had no control over. He's stuck inside. And while he's in there, despite a lot of unspeakable terrible things, the way the prisoners are mistreated by the warden, the guards, and by other inmates, he manages to navigate his time on the inside with hope. His hopes are often completely pummeled, but somehow they're never, ever extinguished. And the hope that he carries throughout this movie is absolutely inspiring. So taking a job for the money, but being you know, feeling miserable and stuck, I'm going to make a benefit of the doubt assumption that the reason for taking a job for the money means you're in circumstances you may have no control over and you need the money to get by. Or maybe taking a job for the money provides some hope for changing your circumstances. And I, I want to understand that. You know, I, I do understand that. Um, there there's a lot many of us can and will tolerate for a certain amount of money. I think the motivators for that are, they vary widely and I think they're very unique to individuals and, and to where you're at. But the point at which you start feeling stuck or miserable or undervalued, the exchange for money stops being worth it. You're, you know, it becomes, it becomes selling your soul in a way. I mean, it feels like that, right? I, I often, I often like to use the vis visualization of a scale with the two sides. One is benefits and one is detriments. And you have to constantly weigh, you know, th the value of being in this relationship. This is a work relationship, but this works the same with human relationships as well, right? You have to constantly ask, do the benefits of being in this relationship outweigh the detriments? And once the detriment side of the scale becomes heavier, uh, it's it's really time to take action. And you know, sometimes that's re as simple as reframing the situation, not focusing on only the negative. Sometimes it's focusing on the positive. Um, you know, I think in relationships that you really want to make work, where it's not toxic, um, but rather just you know, you're stuck in a, a dark space, but it's not an impossible one to work through, then, you know, sometimes a shift of focus from negative to positive can, can help shift that. In bigger, more 
toxic and severe situations, it's not that simple. Um, so, but what I'd love for you to think about is Andy's, the part of Andy's quote where he says, there's something inside that's yours that they can't touch. And I want to ask you, do you know what that is for you? What is it that's inside for you that they can't touch? So, you know, for me, this hope, this is hope, right? Um, there is a hope in there. And what is yours? So this is about asking yourself, what is the thing that like gives you a glimmer of hope? And if it's completely extinguished, you know, I hope that <laughs> I hope <laughs> that we can we can find something that sparks that. And and that's really what this whole show, this whole season is about when you're finding like there's no pinhole of light here. Um, I've touched on how I was able to kind of find a pinhole. Um and sometimes you really have to sift through what you've got to work with in that. And so for me, this hope um, that, you know, Andy talks about hope, it's something inside that's yours that they can't touch. Find what that is. There are things that people can't touch. They're yours and yours alone. And and that's a good thing. And it pairs very nicely with, with my step one, compass of intention. The things on my own list are things that get me out of bed. There are things that keep me going. There are things that are the most important thing to me in the world. And, you know, I frame it around like being the best mom I can be because the things that give me hope are my kids and the promise of safety and the promise of providing and bringing smiles to their faces to bring joy and to hopefully build <laughs> some human beings that contribute something positive to the world. So, you know, that's all rooted in hope. And, um, you know, those are the things that are important to me. Those drive me in the direction that I move. And I have, you know, seven things on my list, but I encourage you to, to start. So if hope is the stuff they can't touch, and because something is important to me, it doesn't mean that it has to be important to you. What's meaningful to you may not resonate the same for me, but these things, they're not only important to think about, they're important to write down. So this is the part where I'm going to say, like, if you have just one thing that gives you hope, like and if, even if it takes a while for you to search around inside and find that thing that may be covered in hurt and damage and feels like it's beyond repair. I'm, if you're still going, it's in there and there's something on the other side of this bad situation for you. So I, I encourage you to, to look for it, maybe dust it off, find it and take 30 seconds to write that down, write it somewhere that you can see it and be constantly reminded of it. I'm not asking you to make an entire list, an entire compass of intention right now. Start with hope. Tell me what gives you hope. You don't have to share it with anybody else, but if you really, you know, if you need to put it in a place where um, you can see it and be constantly reminded of it, something I've done is take a Sharpie to my arm and write it there when it's one thing I really need to focus on. And I'll do it over and over again. Every time it gets washed off, I just freshen it right up. And, um, you know, alternately you could do something like a dry erase marker on your bathroom mirror or a note on your workstation. If you have a, you know, a sit at a desk kind of place or just a place that you pass by, maybe a door or that you exit through every day or, 
whatever it is, find a place to put it that's prominent. It's going to be in your face. It needs to be in your face because hope hope needs to be there. You need to remind yourself that there is hope still. Okay. All right. All right. So that's one, one little bit there. Um, Andy, Andy knew he was innocent, but inside the prison, like the common joke that everybody made is everyone's innocent in here. So it was really pointless to try to convince anyone inside that he truly, truly didn't belong in there. Like what good was it going to do? He just had to deal with the circumstance he was in. But instead of just moping about, you know, I think one of the other great lines, this this show I didn't want to bring up, the get busy living or get busy dying line, because it's a, it's a great line, but I really wanted to focus on the hope one for now. But, um, you know, he decides to get busy living, even though he's in this terrible circumstance. Um, and so he kind of gets creative and he saw opportunities to take risks that felt worthwhile to take. And so um, when you're in a dark space or you feel stuck and undervalued, it can be really challenging to see the opportunities. And I know in some of my own personal experiences, there have been times when I saw opportunities and when I spoke up or tried to do something about them and I was shut down very quickly. And, And then when that happens, you feel like there's no one who can, you know, (laughs) there's no one I could convince that I could bring value to the situation because I had already been smashed down and I felt like there's nowhere else to go. And so sometimes, you know, if you're not able to find opportunity within, you have to look with, you know, you have to look on the outer edges. Maybe, you know, it's outside work in entirely. In these sorts of experiences, when they feel defeating, hope is actually what kept me searching for opportunities and weighing them against my own sort of risk tolerance. And I have to tell you, if you've been stuck a while, um, making almost a game or a daily challenge out of looking for opportunities that move you into a better space can be the very thing that pulls you out of bed each day. Maybe you're searching for opportunities to find an objective listener inside your organization. Maybe you search for opportunities outside your organization. Maybe, you know, and maybe that is just a slow build, right? Like it's not another full-time job. Maybe you're having trouble finding something like that, like to hop over, but maybe you search for opportunities to laugh at and find something ridiculous every day um, inside or outside of your organization. Like sometimes just the, the spirit of laughter and being able to laugh at a situation despite the agony of it. Um, you know, I hope that doesn't sound too disconnected, but I, I really, I laugh at some of the, I, I think if I'm so grateful for Ken, my significant other, because, you know, we find a lot of therapy in laughing at very difficult situations that we've been through and go through. And sometimes the, I don't think everybody would appreciate our laughter um, in the same way, but it works for us. And so, you know, it's always about finding the things that work for you. Right. So I'm trying to cover a, a range here, but do you know what it's starting to sound like is um, step four, tiny challenges. Right. Um Going back to reference the movie, Andy's hope keeps him busy. 
He asks for a, a small rock hammer, you know, from the guy who helps get things <laughs> from the outside. So he asks for a small rock hammer to shape stones from the yard into things like chess pieces. And, um, you know, it helps him pass the time productively. And he decides one day he's going to carve his name into the wall. And he discovers that this stone of the wall is very soft and a big chunk falls out. And when this chunk falls out, he sees opportunity. Um, he asks for a poster and he uses the poster to cover this big chip in the wall. And we don't learn until the very end of the movie, but over the course of nearly 27 years that he's been in, you know, confined to these prison walls, he's been slowly, consistently chipping away at that wall that holds him in one day at a time. Well, you know, and he's got to, he's got to get rid of the evidence too. He's in an environment where, um, you know, if he's discovered it's probably life or death. Right. And, and so he's got to chip away at the wall, but then rid of the evidence and he's slowly, you know, taking it out in his pocket or his pant leg and kind of shaking it out amongst the dirt that he walks on, um, in the yard every day. And so, yeah, <laughs> that one chunk of the wall that fell out showed him an opportunity. And that one opportunity sparked an awareness to find more opportunities, right? And so sometimes it was taking a risk to ask for things when most of the other inmates were too scared of the consequences. Like Andy was bold enough to, you know, ask for cold drinks for their outdoor labor um, so they could feel like humans again you know, or putting in an extra effort to write a letter a week to get funding for a prison library, to bring some of the world outside to these guys who are serving time, you know, life sentences and, and whatnot. Some of them, you know, you learn his, his best friend inside is a guy named Red who had committed a robbery as a teenager. And he's been in, you know, he's, he ends up serving 40 years before he's paroled, you know, his entire life has been on the inside. And so he just wants to, he takes risks to bring a betterment to the situation, despite the situation. So his risk tolerance was pretty high compared to a lot of his, you know, other uh, inmates, but he looked for opportunities to weigh those against what he was willing to risk. And once you find the opportunity it's actually really motivating to keep your eye out for more. That becomes the thing, you know, the hope that inspires more hope and kind of like the tinder for, um, for hope, right? And igniting more of a fire into action. So maybe you make a tiny challenge out of looking for opportunities built on hope and that helps shift the situation. I'm, I'm not sure how many years Andy had been in prison before he discovered the soft walls and started to chip away one day at a time. But he, he basically took on the ultimate tiny challenge of chipping away at his little wall, resulting in his thoughtfully plotted escape to freedom. I think it's such a beautiful metaphor for um, chipping away at the walls in our own life. You know, sometimes you have to feel around on that wall to find a soft spot. If you're not finding any soft spots, is there an over? Is there an under? Is there a crack? You know, it's just um, sometimes it's reframing, constant reframing. Whew. I don't think that it needs to take 
27 years um, for you to get out of this place that isn't treating you well. But, you know, I, I think, I think that the relationship to feeling very much like a prisoner to this place, it feels clear to me when, you know, you share words like you feel um, undervalued. And I think, I think that life is too short to feel undervalued. So, man, I really want to just dig in more. I would really love, I hope that Casey, you'll uh, get an opportunity to follow up with more context and, ah, man, I hope we can get you free. You know, I hope we can help you escape to freedom. And, um, I'd love to work with you more on that in a, even one, one-on-one capacity. So anyway, but I think, I think that the advantage you have over Andy from Shawshank is some degree of freedom, right? Like you, you do, you're able to kind of move around somewhat freely, um, and if you can't find a place that values what you bring, I mentioned early on, it's it's really important to get really real with where you are. That step three, confess and address, is identifying what gives you hope, and it's a sure step in the right direction. But identifying, you know, what stops you and what risks you're really willing to take i think that is a is just an important in the like confess and address and i think when i did the um episode 3 was confess and address and i think when i i went into it i didn't focus as much on that second part there like what risk what sacrifice are you willing to make uh, i did talk a little bit about it i love to relate stories um, from my dad, you know, and I know I've shared at least once in a past episode, but one of the last conversations that I had with my dad that constantly gives me a rebalancing of my risk tolerance, I had asked him how he was able to quit a job no matter what, like as soon as he was feeling like this is not working. Um, this person doesn't respect or value me or my time. It's a waste of time. Whatever it was that he concluded wasn't worth his time anymore. He was good at giving his notice and, and moving on. And when I asked him how he was able to do that, despite having a family and a mortgage and often a lot of stress on bills to pay and debt, <laughs> um, my dad had no hesitation. I didn't care if we had to live in a tent. I knew we'd be all right. We'd always figure it out. And, you know, like, oh, I love that. I love that. And it reminds me that, like, I've created a life for myself that is very comfortable. Do I want to compromise it? No. Um, could I compromise it? Absolutely. Could I compromise it and survive? Yes. Yes, I could. Um, would it be hard? Yes, absolutely. Would it be fun? Probably not. And, you know, it's just, it's a constant re-evaluation of what I'm able or willing to risk. And, you know, I used to think, ah, I know, I, I don't know if I've talked about this, but when I made my first decision to leave a job where I felt both undervalued 
and miserable. I had saved up somewhere between three and $6,000 in the bank. And I will tell you, I felt like a millionaire with that much money in the bank. I felt like I had all the freedom in the world to figure out my next move. Um, a lot of people would probably, that's probably ill-advised to for that much, you know, um, in the, I don't know what your monthly burn is, but minus, yeah, that, that would get me about one and one quarter month. Um, at the time I still had a, yeah, I still had a mortgage. I was lucky enough to pay off my mortgage a couple of years ago, just cause I've been in the same spot for 20 years. I haven't moved. So yeah, you know, um, I still had a mortgage. I had two little girls. I was an independent mom. I had all of these really kind of scary, daunting circumstances, but I knew that if I stayed in the situation I was in, I felt hopeless and I had to make brave moves, even if that meant kind of gambling at all. Right. Um, and I remember thinking like, if this, if leaving this job and not being able to find something else happens, what's the worst case scenario? I lose my house. Um, I have some equity in it. So, you know, able to sell the house maybe, um, but not really get anything to take out of it. Right. Um, you got to pay off the balance of the mortgage and whatnot. But anyway, I, I was like, worst case, okay, say I lose my house, then I live in the car. Can I do that with my kids? Well, the girl's dad has his own place. We were divorced. And I thought, well, the kids could at least stay there. I could sleep in my car as long as I can make enough to pay for my uh, my car. And I, I don't think, I don't know if I even had a car payment at the time. I'm really good at driving things until they die and making sure they're paid off really, really soon. So um, another good you know, habit of being a good saver, I guess. And uh, anyway, how I prioritize things financially, maybe we'll have to do a financial episode, huh? Um, but yeah, I, I just, I was in this situation and I had to find what I was willing to risk in order to be inspired to move by hope. Um, and, you know, once you are able to identify the hope and you're able to identify the risk and you're able to identify the things that stop you and kind of look at those things, um, it's going to help you highlight opportunities to bridge the gaps between them. The action that you take after has the ability to change your entire life. And I, I do have to say, it's not going to be instant. It's rarely fast. Um, maybe not 27 years like Andy Dufresne, but he was inside a real prison, right? I mean, in the story, but he, he was inside prison. Um, so way harder to get out of that, right? Um, we at least have freedom on our side for the time being, and let's embrace that freedom in as much as we can. What are you willing to risk? In my own experience, it's always taken time. You know, I, I'm able to look back on my experiences and my shifts and the risks that I've taken for the last 10 years at least. And I, I do feel like I took risks far beyond the 10 years that I mostly cover in this season of uh, Coffee with Jamie. But, you know, being able to look back at all the risks I've taken and why it's been worth the risk every time. And I, I do, I really credit my dad for a lot of that 
bravery. I do feel it's brave. <laughs> I do think it takes, it takes thinking a little differently. Sometimes I think we're shaped to, you know, the, here's the formula for life. You grow up, you get a job, you buy a house, you have a dog or, or whatever the animal. And you, uh, as Steve jobs once phrased it in a, in an interview, you try not to bump into the walls too much. It's a very nice life, <laughs> but it's a very limited life. And Steve Jobs says, you know, poke life. You want to poke life because if you learn that you can poke life and something, it will respond, you poke in and something happens in another place, your ability to poke life will cause change to happen. And so, you know, if you're not sure where to look and maybe you found your word of hope, but I encourage you to explore things like your hobbies. If you have side projects, if you have anything in your life outside that place that you feel undervalued and stuck, um, what brings you joy? You know, I, and I, I do know that for my own career path, those side projects and freelance gigs, they started very small. Um, I'd have my regular job, but I, I did things often in the early days when I wanted to become a designer. And this does like, I'm just trying to give um, more options, I think, Casey. So I, I do kind of, you know, elaborate a little bit here, but I, I feel like the more you know, it's so easy to dismiss things, right? Like, oh yeah, but you did this, you have, you know, a tech career or you have, I feel like people very easily dismiss a lot of what um, other people accomplish because it seems easy sometimes from the outside. And I've received, I've received those sorts of comments across my career. It's like, oh yeah, but you aren't in this situation or you haven't, um, you know, you have a good career, you've got this experience, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't always, right? Like I, I had to start somewhere too. And so, you know, when I wanted to be a designer and I wasn't one and I didn't grow up around computers and I am grateful for the tech career I have, but I had to create that for myself. And, and so in my own career path, when I was out of college with a sculpture degree that I didn't know what to do with. Um, I taught myself how to code websites and how to design graphics for websites. And I, I just started doing it in my free time and figuring out how to do that stuff. And then, you know, in order to do more of that work, because I loved it so much, I let people know, hey, if you need graphics, if you need a logo, or if you need a I don't know, website, I, I, you know, slowly evolved to being able to build websites, but I started with free graphics, like, just like, I'll make a logo for you. I used to be a production assistant for uh, film and video um, live shoots and stuff. And um, I remember there was a guy, his name was Trent Camerman, and he was a camera man. His last name, Camerman, and he was a camera man by trade. And I had, I would, you know, 
they would, on our breaks, when I was PA, schlepping gear and, and running around and all these things, um, we'd have a lunch break. And a lot of times the, the crew would take the time to get to know me and I would get to know them. And I still have lifelong friends from that era of my life. But Trent was asking, like, what are you going to do? You know, you're a student right now. What are you going to do? I was like, I want to be a graphic designer. That's my dream. And he's like, I need a logo. And and I said, I'll, I'll do your logo. He's like, how much? And I was like, oh, I can't charge you. I'm not very skilled yet. And he said, look, I'm going to pay you. You tell me what you need. Tell me how long it's going to take. And anyway, so I think I did it for like 25 or 35 bucks and about three weeks of time it took me. And I followed up with him. And do you want to hear a crazy thing? Um, I saw him on, I mean, like he popped up on my Facebook uh, about six months ago, just as a like recommend you people, you may, I don't know, we'd lost touch over the years. And I saw his name. I sent him a quick message that said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but you were one of my first logo designs because of that opportunity. I had a portfolio piece and, um, I, I became a, a designer and then my career went on to, you know, start my own company and then, you know, animation firm and the picture of this clothing. And, what was beautiful about it, he responded and he was like, wow, I remember you. I still use the logo today. And I thought that was amazing, amazing. And so what my point with that was, is sometimes you don't have the skills necessary to begin with, you know, but if you've taken the time to confess and address and look at what's stopping you, and understand understand what your limitations are and what you need to do. Start thinking about how to chip away at those things. Um, the hope is your driver. The hope is your motivation to start looking at things and figuring out, like, how do I bridge this gap? And so for me, it was like offering free stuff until I got enough skills to start charging for stuff. And letting people know, putting the word out there. And I know when you're inside a job that's miserable, it can be very risky to start circulating the word that you're looking for something else. But please email me. Let me know what kind of work you do, Casey, what kind of work you're looking for, because I bet there's something out there that's healthier for you. Um, I, I would really like to help you more, really, really, really. And if there's anything I can do, I want to extend that to you. So that was kind of my whole point in sharing my whole life story there um, at the end. But I think the parallels, let's tie it back to our Shawshank Redemption quote. There, there is stuff in you that they can't get to. There's something in you that is yours. And that needs to be the thing that we turn to when we're in the darkest place. That thing is hope. It may not look like hope, but it is, and it's there. And um, yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right. I feel like that's all. That's a lot. You know, it's a really heavy topic. And uh, the part that breaks my heart really is the undervalued thing, because I do know that feeling. And I don't know, my risk tolerance is and has become higher and higher over the years. Um, as I, you know, I think I mentioned my my budget, right? Like I was in a position I had saved. I knew I needed to leave this job, and I was able to save up to about I, I still can't, I want to say three thousand, but it, I think it was more like six thousand. Somewhere in between there, I was able to just sock away, sock away, sock away, and um, save up. This what seemed to me at the time like an exorbitant amount of money that I could 
leave and have the freedom of choice. And so, man, yeah, how important that was for me. And it's funny because I feel like that bar, that bar of feeling like a millionaire at $6,000 um, has raised over time as I've been able to grow my little safety nest and my creature comforts and all of that sort of thing, um, the the less I want to compromise them, right? And so my bar gets higher and higher, but sometimes I need to remember and I need to go back to like, ooh, sometimes I get scared and I'm like, oh, I need to find work because what if I can't find work and I need work? And then I take on something just to prove to myself, and this is speaking from actual real-time experience here, folks. Um, I take on something that seems really exciting uh, at first, and then it, I'm very quickly reminded why I left uh, <laughs> why I left that kind of work, uh, client work to begin with. I am reminded very quickly why I left that kind of work. There are certain aspects that I love. There are certain aspects that I feel um, are a drain on my time and energy that I could be focusing elsewhere on things that really matter and things that are really meaningful to me, but it may compromise some of my safety net. And so I have to weigh that, right? I have to look at it and say, am I willing to risk this in order to get that with the hopeful outcome that that becomes you know, something that sustains me further in the future? And um, most of the time when I take that risk, yes, I've had that risk not turn out and then you're scrambling and you maybe have to take something for the work uh, just to get through again, but constantly looking for opportunities to, to find a new way out, a new alcove. Um, that is kind of, a, I feel like the formula of my entire life, Casey. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, how I would love to hear more stories. With that, I say to you listeners, I say to you, Casey, I hope that there is something in all of that that offers you a tool to help. Um, I would really love to hear your thoughts, your responses. And that's not only for Casey, but you, you listening right now, that's for you. I would like to hear from you. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me, I would like for you to go to the show link on my website. It's coffee with Jamie, J-A-I-M-E-E, two E's like coffee, uh, coffeewithjamie.com. Scroll down a little bit on that show page. You're going to see a big fat email button. Scroll a little further. You're going to also find my social media links there. There's also a mailing address for folks like Victor who like to ship me coffee, hint, hint. <laughs> no, just saying. Um, yeah, there's a, a mailing address on there if you prefer that form of outreach. I love postcards, thoughts, and things like that. Um, if you do write, please let me know in your message if it's okay to share. And let me know how you'd like to be addressed. If that's a social media handle, a first name, maybe initials like KC did today, or anonymous like our submission from last week, whatever you feel comfortable with, please let me know. That is how we will roll. A special note. The Coffee with Jamie show is in no way to be construed or substituted as mental health counseling or any other type of psychotherapy or medical advice. 
The information I offer is based on my very own life and work experiences. The purpose of Coffee with Jamie's show is to assist people in making changes in their lives through supportive guidance and hopefully a bit of inspiration. I should say that with more enthusiasm, a bit of inspiration, right? Okay. (laughs) If you feel like you're in a crisis or you need professional help, very, very heartfelt. Um, I want to say this. I've left some information in the show notes for you. So please get the help you need. If you want to support the show by listening or by sharing, um, that is super helpful. I've never done paid ads, but the show producers, Sandra Rogers, let me know that that's an option if I wanted to throw that out there. So if you have, so I'd like, I feel like, uh, We could do some sort of thing like we do with the um, Swift Cup Coffee, right? Uh, I am happy to talk about things that I truly value and use. So yeah, that's a thing. Got to tell you, I'm super uncomfortable even talking about the idea of that, but going to throw it out there because I was encouraged to do that. And it's probably a good idea to do that. So anyway, if you want to share the show with friends or anyone you think might find some value in it, um, please do that. And you can listen live each week on the Voice America Network. There's a link directly to that also on the show page of my coffeewithjamie.com website or after the live broadcast every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific time, the episodes get posted to all the places that you listen to your favorite podcasts. For example, if you use the podcast app from an Apple iPhone, you can search Coffee with Jamie or Jamie Finney and you should find the show. And like everything else I just threw at you, there are links for a few of those podcast apps right there on the show page of my coffeewithjamie.com website. So be sure, um, now that I've said all that whole mouthful, be sure to come back and join me for another cup or two of coffee next week. We're going to continue the theme of exploring um, you know, your challenges like we did today. Um, something I'm learning with the live stream here is that I need to create more content for myself. So I need more. I need more from you. I need your help. I'm asking for help. All right. So anyway, we're going to explore more themes like that, um, that work very well with my own six-step process for getting unstuck. Um, And that's it. With that, I'm going to say thank you so much for joining me. I will catch you next week. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for taking the time for Coffee with Jamie. Please join Jamie Finney again next Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time for another cup of discussion and wisdom on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then. 